0: Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sandy. And this is the Italian American Stories Podcast. (laughs) Mom is back today. Hey, hey. hey. Glad you're back. Yeah. Um, I had Jared do, well I was just going to do the one episode with him, the, um, oh, what was it, Clevio, with the strong man. that was a good one. That
1: one came out good.
0: Both of them were good. Yeah, he he does really good. I yeah, know. I was like, why do you not have a podcast? Right. <laughs> I'm like,
1: you are more natural at this than I am. <laughs> well, you do really good, but he, he's good.
0: He he's is. really good. And he just taught, like, he read this script, you know, because I write, it's not really a script, but it's, like, notes and stuff. Um, He read it, like, right before he came on in podcast, but, you know, it's his, um... It's his love. Like he loves weightlifting right, and right. all of that kind of stuff. So it was easy for him to talk about. But so I was just going to do that one episode with him, and then I I was my plan was to do this one, the Italian banditti, the next day with you, um, or the next week with you. But then I realized that it was going to be Veterans Day, and I was like, oh, I've got to do something for Veterans Day. And then I found um, Anthony Casamento. And he was a Marine, and I was like, okay, I've got to have Jared back on. (laughs) You
1: had to have Jared for that one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was really good. That was a
0: good one. Mm -hmm. It was a tearjerker. Oh, I know. (laughs) I was like, I knew it was going to be hard for me to get through a couple of those spots, but I was like, deep breath, deep breath. Um, But no, Jared did really good on that, but I'm glad you're back. Yeah. And now we get to, yeah, it'll be fun, because now we get to talk about some real gruesome stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, like I said, we're gonna be talking about a little bit of a gruesome story here. Um, today's story is about a game of nine men, and they were called the Italian Banditi. Uh, and they were a group of Italian men who lived in Denver and murdered a whole
1: family. <laughs> Well, you got gruesome, right? This is—it's going to be an
0: interesting
1: one, though. It
0: is, yeah. It's going to be bloody interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, just a quick little—I don't know—guess tidbit before we get going. This, most of the stories that Mom and I tell are, you know, very—they shine a great light on the Italian American community. Um, you know, they're role model type people this is not going to be one of those stories (laughs) this is um you know these these were not great men that we're going to talk about today but i feel like it's important to discuss all sides because right no thing's perfect there's good and bad in in everyone (laughs) exactly yep i totally agree and I, and, and because of that, I think it's important to discuss all kinds of stories. Right. And so, yeah, that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> I picked a good one. <laughs> I picked a good one, yep. <laughs> you know, Angelina Garamoni, she was, you know, right. not on the positive side of the Italian-American community either. That was an interesting story. But um, So this is kind of like the next one that's not right. the most positive. That so. was your first podcast. That was the first one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to redo that because I was a, not as... Smooth as I am now, not that I'm really smooth at it now, but it was oh, a yeah, l- <laughs> it was a little rougher back then. <laughs> All right, so the incident that actually gave the these men the name the Italian banditti it happened in 1875 in Denver, Colorado, and 1875 Denver, Colorado, it's Wild West. I mean, Denver is, um, you know. Well, we're the Centennial State, so 1876 we became a state. You know, I mean, we weren't even a state in 1875, right? I didn't mm-hmm. even think about. Yeah. that. Yeah, so we were we were Kansas Territory. Yeah, so Colorado became a state August 1st, 1876. Oh, okay. Um, because Revolutionary War all of that 1776. 1776. Okay. Um, and so you know, 1875 we weren't even a state yet. We were still Kansas Territory. And so, wow. yeah, we were, uh, it was Wild West, basically. I mean, there was brothels and gunfights and, I mean, you know, not every day, of course. So the leader of this game, he went by Philomino Um, but his real name was Giovanni Conti. Um, but everything that you, you know, when you research this, if you look this up, you'll always see Philomino. So I'm just going to call him Philomino from here on out. Um, even in the court records, he went by Philomino.
1: So it's <laughs> funny that you changed the fool. He changed his full name.
0: His full name. Exactly. I wonder if maybe Philomino was maybe his father's name and Galati was maybe mom's maiden name. And I, who knows? Or he just, cha- well, we'll kind of figure out why he probably changes his name a lot. But, um, yeah, I don't know. And the fact that the courts are like, okay, cool. We'll call you Philomino. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like whatever, but you know, paperwork wasn't as as prevalent as it is today, I guess. Um, and so this game was made up of nine men, including Filamino. So these men were Leonardo Alessandre, and he was sixteen. John Arada, and he was like tw- in his early twenties. Michael Bellotti, Giuseppe, but sometimes he went by Sylvester, and he was thirteen. And he was thirteen. Um, and then there was a guy named the ranch man or Joe, but that's all I could find on him. I couldn't find like the newspapers never listed his last name. Uh, so I, and he never went to jail or anything. Uh, and then there was Leonardo Diodato, Henry Fernandez and Frank Valendieri. Uh, and he went by the minor. So those were the men that were in this game. And in October of 1875, Filamino and his gang, they started scoping out a house that was occupied by Giuseppe Pecora. And Giuseppe, he was known as Old Joe. And I'm, I'm actually just going to call him Old Joe from here on out. And I'm assuming they knew about Old Joe and his home because according to Leonardo Alessandri, the 16-year-old, at one point in a court testimony, he said that Old Joe was his godfather. Huh. So, honestly, I'm not sure how true that is. I only saw it in one article, but it's out there. But Leonardo did not speak a whole lot of English. So, maybe something got mistranslated um, or lost in translation. I don't know. But there's that. <laughs> so, okay. Um, and so, old Joe, he lived in this house with his two sons, Giovanni and Giuseppe. And his nephew, Luigi, also lived there. And the three boys, they were local musicians in Denver And Filamino thought that old Joe was just stocking away the money that the three young boys were making. And that kind of enticed (laughs) Filamino. He wanted some of that money. (laughs) So on October 15th of 1875, the nine men, this gang, they entered Giuseppe Pecora's or old Joe's home. And they were pretending that they were there to play a card game with the family. And so... You know, old Joe welcomes them in and they start playing cards. And in one of the newspaper articles I read, it described this this scene because in my mind, I'm picturing like they're sitting around the dining room table with, you know, food and lighting and all of that kind of stuff. Well, that's not what the case was. (laughs) So the cards were on like a box or a crate. So I'm sure it was like a wooden crate. In the living room. And the men were just, like, around, sitting around the floor, around this crate, playing cards. Um, 1895. Right. 1940. <laughs> so that's, I guess I was picturing, like, 1940. That was their dining that table. That was their dining table. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, according to Leonardo Alessandre, he was told to play the harp while everyone played cards. So this is a very, like... Musical. There's a lot of music right. stuff that
1: comes into this, and
0: this is the 13-year-old. Right? This is Leonardo is the
1: 16-year-old. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, and he he played the harp, and he also would go. I saw in a couple of articles he would go with uh, Giuseppe's sons and go play music around Denver too. So um, that was probably another connection that they had. Uh, so while Leonardo was playing the harp, Filamino, who remember he's like the leader of this game, he was not playing cards. Uh, He was just, like, standing around and walking around the living room area. Which, to me, like, if I was old Joe, I'd be like, sit down. What are you, like, why are you walking around? This is making me nervous. You know, like, you wanted to come play cards here and now you're walking around. Um, But he had ulterior motives in mind because all of a sudden, Philomino reached under his coat and pulled out a knife. And then he took old Joe by the hair pulled his neck back and slit his throat. The
1: start of the gruesomeness.
0: Yep, here comes the gruesomeness. You've been <laughs> forewarned. <laughs> it's starting. Um, so Leonardo, who is, you know, sitting there playing his harp, uh, he's watching all of this go by. I mean, and you can almost picture that. Like, they're sitting around, Leonardo's playing the harp, probably watching Filomena like, what is this guy? Why is he just walking around? And then he slits this guy's throat. Um, but Leonardo, he later testified that he was so shocked by the amount of blood and I guess the blood, it splattered and flew all over the faces of the other players. And the cards, like the playing cards were all bloody and it's oh. brutal. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's just like. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, it's like, what is your motive here? Like, and we'll figure out what the motive I is later. Probably but... been passed out by then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would have been like, I'm not sitting on the floor, so I'm leaving. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, so old Joe, you know, he fell backwards, of course, and then Philomino, he stabbed him twice in the chest to ensure that he was dead. Um. So then two other gang members, Michael and John, they actually went after old Joe's son because, you know, they're all playing cards. So old Joe, he, or old Joe's son saw his father killed. And so he gets up and he's just trying to run, um, to get away. But he was caught by Michael and John and they threw him on the floor and held him there while Philomino cut his throat as well. Other son and the nephew were not actually home at this time um they were out in the town playing music but they come back later uh and so leonardo he said during this time he he just continued playing the harp he didn't move he just kept playing and he said he was trembling and was too scared to stop playing in case it would make filamino mad so yeah it didn't seem to take too much for him no it didn't and it almost makes me wonder if um filamino told leonardo you're playing the harp and you don't stop playing until i tell you to because he knew he was going to kill these guys, so maybe he thought the heart music would like drown out the screams or the, you know, the rustling around in the house. I don't know, but... Because you think you're 16 years old, you see this murder happen in front of you, you're going to stop playing. Right. I, I mean, anybody would. Right. Unless you were threatened to not stop playing, which I could see happening. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Because I kept thinking, I'm like, why would you keep playing? Why wouldn't you get up and run? But... If, I mean, he's 16 years old. So he was actually right because at one point, apparently he did stop playing and Filmino told him that he would cut his throat too if he stopped playing. So Filmino wanted that heart music going for some reason. And I think it was to drown out the sounds.
1: Because makes
0: sense. Yeah. And this was on um, Lawrence Street in Denver, which is kind of more the downtown area. Right. And so those homes back then were just crammed right next to each other. Um, so I'm sure people could have heard something going on. And so after killing these two, they threw a blanket over their bodies and then the gang just kind of hung out at the house, <laughs> just waiting for the other, the other two boys to return. And like I said earlier, they were at a saloon downtown playing music. So when the two boys return, the gang met them in the kitchen. So I, they must have entered in through the kitchen door and they slit their throats as well. And one of the boys, this is, this is really gruesome and sad. Um, he was actually still alive after they initially slit his throat and he went running into the living room, um, where Philomino caught him and slit his throat again and then he died. But can you, it's just, it's a sad image. I mean, how scary. So they then dragged the bodies to the cellar and then searched the bodies for valuables. And they apparently found a thousand dollars for revolvers And just like some small valuables like jewelry or whatever. Um, And so, you know, they leave the bodies in the cellar. They go upstairs and they're trying to like clean up all the blood. Which to me, I'm like, you killed four people. Yeah. How are you (laughs) going to get that clean? Even in today's
1: world world of
0: (laughs) chemicals and everything. And you know, these, this flooring was pure wood. This is just this blood is probably just soaking into the wood. And the amount of blood, I can't even imagine. Um, but, you know, they found out that it was too hard. And so they, they just kind of gave up on that. Um, and then there were... So old Joe had two dogs. And Philomino took the dogs with him when they left. And they went back to the hotel that they were staying at. And then he kills the two dogs with a hatchet. That doesn't... That just shows you how insane
1: this man had to have been. Exactly. What did the dogs have to do with anything?
0: And yeah. He just what, hadn't had his feel of killing? Exactly. And so, I mean, the dogs aren't going to be able to testify against you. Right. You know, like, why why even take them from the house? And to me, like, that's kind of a risky thing. Like, somebody sees you walking out with the two dogs, and I'm sure the dogs were probably bloody. Like running around the house. And, right. But like you said, it just shows how crazy he is because why kill them? Well, I guess he didn't want him roaming
1: around and being alone. That's and a good so point. If there's neighbors that close saying something's wrong because the dogs why? are roaming. Or they're in the house just barking because they're them. getting
0: hungry. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, maybe he just didn't want to draw attention to the house right away. Because these guys do flee after this, so they probably wanted to get as far away as they could before the bodies were discovered. So that's a good point. Um, And so, by October 22nd, and, let's see, when did this murder happen? On the 15th, 15th, I believe. 15th, I think. Yeah, the 15th. So, October 22nd, the neighbors started complaining about the smell coming from old Joe's house.
1: Oh, boy.
0: So... You know, they'd had seven days at this point to get away. Um, and so on October 26th of that year, uh, a neighbor who lived across the street, he went to the police because he was convinced that something had happened at the at old Joe's house. And the police, they decided that they would go inv- investigate. And when they got to the house, they immediately smelled something really bad coming from the house. And, but when they entered the house, um, there were no bodies there. But they saw a crazy amount of blood. So they knew something bad had happened, but they didn't see any bodies. Um, And so they started searching the house and eventually found the bodies in the cellar. And John Morris, he was a local shoemaker who lived kind of right in that vicinity. He told the police that he actually saw the gang coming and going from the Pecora house a lot that night. And so with this tip, the police started tracking the gang. So... You're probably right about the dogs. That makes sense. They probably didn't want the dogs drawing attention to the house really soon.
1: Right. Because then the police would come in. and
0: Yeah. Because it probably took them a day maybe or two to get out of Denver. Right. And run. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, officers Frank Smith and R.Y. Force, uh, they were both with the Denver Police Department. They actually tracked Michael Giuseppe... Or Sylvester, who knows, <laughs> and Leonardo to a saloon in Tr- in Trinidad, Colorado, which is so. How many days? Um, let's oh, see. Say. Yeah, I don't know what day, like because Trinidad's a long way. It's Trinidad's a long way. Is that south? Mm-hmm. It's in southern Colorado, right? Almost right on the New Mexico border. I think so. Yeah, so they traveled a long. I wonder if they went a little bit by train. They had to have gone by train. I don't know. Because the horse? That's a... Yeah, that's a long... A long way. In October, too. That's chilly. When they found the the gang members in the saloon, they were playing a card game. So the officers <laughs> just sat down at the table and joined them. <laughs> like, no questions asked. And I don't know to be fair if the officers were, like, in plain clothes, I guess you could say. Like, maybe they didn't know that they were officers. But at the table while they're playing cards with the game members, they just interview them right there at the card table about this murder that, or these murders that been in Denver. Um, and they determined that, that they were involved in the murders and they arrested them right there. So, wow. Which to me is a little risky because a saloon, you've got people drinking, you've got guns like that could have went bad real quick. Yeah, because there was only two of them. So that kind of went bad real quick. But they arrested them and took them back to Denver. So, And when they got back to Denver, there was actually a crowd of people waiting to see the prisoners. And they started chanting, "hate them, hang them, as the prisoners arrived. So Denver was not happy about this incident. And it didn't say in the paper that it was Italians out there chanting, "hate them, hang them. It was just kind of anybody and everybody. But you got to think about it. I mean, this is this is a brutal murder for money. That's scary to people.
1: Right back that's, then,
0: or even now. I didn't understand like if they
1: they thought he was stashing money in the house, yeah. so he killed them and then waited for the other two to come. Why didn't they search the house for the exactly the money then and then flee before the other two?
0: Before the other two. Well, then
1: I guess that they we wouldn't have time illnesses. to be. Running, that's true, because then the boys would be get home,
0: or they thought the boys had a lot of money. On maybe, them too. maybe they wanted the money that they earned at the saloon that night. Apparently, uh, but yeah, apparently, because you're right, it did say that Philomino was suspected that this guy was just stashing money away. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a thousand uh, sure, a thousand dollars back then is a lot, a thousand dollars is a lot now, but really a lot back then, so right. And so the police, um, you know, once they were able to search the three men, they found that the men, you know, they did have a lot of money on them. And I guess their white undershirts were stained with blood. Um, They could tell that the shirts had been washed, but you're not going to get that stain out, you know. So um, that was like one of their biggest pieces of evidence. (laughs) You think with all the money, they could have bought some new tees. I know, right? Like get rid of your bloody underwear (laughs) or undershirt, whatever it is. Um, and so Leonardo Alessandre, who was the 16 year old, he just started seeming right away. He just told the police everything he knew. Um, I, I, in a weird way, I feel sorry for this Leonardo. I think he got, you know, involved. This guy kind of took him under his wing, I think a little bit and manipulated him. And I think once he realized what he was involved in, he was too scared to get out and, I mean, because he just was immediately like, I'll tell you everything (laughs) like this is so I'm so scared. Like he was just scared. Kind of scared. Like he was like a a loner. Yes. Maybe roaming the town. Exactly. Maybe he came over, um you know, maybe he just got to Colorado from Italy even and was by Mm -hmm. himself and yeah, there's part of me where I feel bad for him. I mean Still not a good thing that he was involved in, but still. No. <laughs> um, and so Michael Bellotti, he told the police that he had only been in Colorado a few months. So that's another thing that makes me wonder if Leonardo had only been in Colorado a few months. Um, but Michael said that when he first got to Colorado, he had no money and Filomino took him under his wing and said that he said filamino would take him out to dinner um he would treat him you know and it was always on him like oh buy you dinner and drinks and i'll take care of you don't worry um and then after a while filamino told him that he was wanting to kill the pakora family old joe's family and i think at that point this michael felt like he owed filamino everything basically but, again, like, you can walk away. You don't have to slit people's throats, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and so... But, fil- again, birds of a feather flock together. So exactly. it been his cup of tea. Exactly. Yeah, right? One. It's like, how do these people find each other, you know? I mean, uh, yeah. it's like... And how does that conversation first come up? Hey, I don't want to <laughs> kill somebody. You want to kill somebody too? Great. I know who we should kill. It's just, like, to think about how... Like they just met a few months prior and now they've got this whole plot. It's just, but like you said, birds of a feather. Um, and so Philomino, he would actually have Michael and a couple of other guys go over to the Pokora house, which is old Joe's house, um, every day for three days before they actually murdered them. And they would go over and play music with them. They would play cards just kind of as a way to like gain their trust And make it feel normal, (laughs) you know, like one night, hey, we don't really know you, but let's play cards, you know, like who's going to let you in? Um, And I guess even one day, they brought a cart of watermelons to old Joe's house and offered to bring a few watermelons into the house for them so that they could all eat watermelon together. Um, But old Joe, he declined the watermelons and wouldn't let them in the house. He probably figured they were stolen (laughs) and didn't want anything to do with it. Because I mean, how do you get a cart of watermelons? (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's just kind of funny. Um, But I guess this really infuriated um, Philomino. And I guess like him declining the watermelons just threw him over the edge. And he was ready to kill him that day. But they decided to hold off a little bit longer. So (laughs) there's that. Um, And so Philomino, he was, he held out for a while when it came to talking to the authorities. Um, But he did finally start talking to the authorities and kind of telling them what happened. Um, this is where we find out the whole motive behind this and why Philomino okay. wanted to kill him. So uh, kill old Joe. So according to Philomino, his reason for killing old Joe, besides of course the money factor, traces back to when they both lived in New Orleans. And so Philomino, he was a tinker in New Orleans. That was like his trade. And according to Google, <laughs> a tinker, a tinkerer is someone who repairs household utensils, like pots, pans, stuff like that. So that's well, kind of interesting. wonder if that's where that
1: the word comes from. Like, I'm going to go tinker in the garage a little bit. I bet it does. Have you ever
0: heard that? Yeah. Like, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> tinker and fix these little right. odds and end kind mm-hmm. of things at the house. Um, I also saw in a census that his profession was listed as a coppersmith. So, maybe that's the more technical term for Tinker. (laughs) Um, And so, Filipino, his customers, they loved him. In fact, they loved him and trusted him so much that they would deposit money with him for safekeeping. This just seems insane to me. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, he must have been a big con artist. I think so. He was a charmer. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Charm a bird out of a tree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because... I mean, at one point he had $6,000 that he was holding for his customers. That is so much money.
1: Right. Yeah. Didn't have banks and stuff then? Or, or maybe you don't have, I don't know
0: how. What happened went. to like putting it between your mattresses? Something, you know? I mean, why why give it to this guy? It just seems yeah, well, so like weird. you said
1: he was probably a charmer and probably talk. Like I, you know, I don't know how you would go about, I can...
0: Your money's take safer with me. me. Yeah. yeah, like there's people maybe, you know, New Orleans at that time with Italians were not liked a whole lot. Um, maybe he can use that, like, hey, keeping your money in your house, people are gonna find out about it, they'll come take it, and there's nothing you can do. There about had to be it. a way that he called Yeah. It. So keep it I'll keep it and I'll be able to keep it safe and then you get it whenever you want. But, of course, this doesn't turn out very well. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, he had he was at one point holding six thousand dollars for all of his customers. Um, and he got to thinking, hey, maybe I could earn money off of this six thousand dollars. And so he loaned some of the money to a fruit dealer that was visiting from visiting New Orleans from Memphis. And this fruit dealer was Old Joe. And so this all, like this whole rival between these two, Goes back probably ten years in the southern states of the United States.
1: So I wonder if that's why he brought him watermelons
0: because oh, Joe was a fruit
1: dealer.
0: That is such a good point. I didn't even think about that.
1: Thinking that he would be like, oh, he'll really mm-hmm. impress. I'll impress him because he's a fruit
0: dealer. He's he a loves fruit that, and
1: I'll bring him a card.
0: That's a good point. Well, and okay, so now that I think about this, this makes sense because Filomeno, for those three days that they were going to the house, Filomeno didn't go. Like, he would just send the other guys to go, like, take the watermelons or play cards and music with them. But I wonder, though, why would old Joe let Filomeno into his house that night?
1: I just thought of that. Did too. you just think of that, yeah, too? Because
0: I thought. You know, he had to have recognized him unless Filomeno did something. To disguise himself, but why, if you knew you stole $6,000 from this man, why would you let him in his, in your house?
1: Yeah, and he wasn't playing cards, so that's suspect, too, because wouldn't yeah. you be watching him? Like, like well, I thought
0: you wanted to play cards with me. Sit down. Maybe he didn't know who. Maybe he didn't recognize him. I wonder what the time frame was. Maybe he, exactly, yeah, if we're talking 15 years, mm-hmm. maybe he had more facial hair this time. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that until just now. It's funny, we both thought about it at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, I could see the light bulb in mom's head. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I think I she's like, thinking oh. the same thing as me. Um, so I don't know. It, it's just, it's interesting to think about this. Um, so anyways, back to like, Filmino gives the $6,000 to old Joe. I think his thought was he would loan it to old Joe and then earn interest on it. Like, right. old Joe's like, I'll pay you back 6500 or whatever. Yeah, but of course, old Joe, he kept the money and took out took off out of New Orleans. (laughs) So, um, so Phil he, he tracks and follows um, old Joe (laughs) across the, across the United States. He follows him to Mobile, Alabama, Louisville, Kentucky, then to St. Louis, Missouri, then to Kansas City. And I couldn't figure out if that was Kansas City, Kansas or Kansas City, Missouri, but one of those. Uh, Then to Omaha, Nebraska, then to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then finally found him in Denver. So he would just, like, figure out, okay, so, oh, I heard old Joe went to Mobile, Alabama. So then Filmino would go to Mobile, and they'd be like, oh, now he's headed to Louisville. But I think he was always, like, two steps behind old Joe. But then it sounds like old Joe decided to settle down in Denver. So this had to be a long time span
1: to Huge. track all... So maybe this is why he didn't recognize him. He didn't him. recognize
0: him. Because if Philomino was really really young at that time in New Orleans. And, you know, if you're talking 10 years of tracking him and it grew more, but yeah, it, I, mm. you're right. Because to track him through this many States and to always be two steps behind him, it had to have been a long period of time because mm-hmm. it's horse and wagon or train. Right. And that's it. Cause it might take you a long time to hear again. Exactly. exactly where the guy is. Yeah. I mean, he could have spent a year in St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri, and then finally found somebody who was like, oh, I know where old Joe is. He mm. headed out to Kansas City. Right. It would be... I, and I actually did look it up. Um, I looked up, you know, because this obviously took place in Colorado, this murder... um, Murders. But I did look up all of these names in New Orleans, and I, I couldn't find anything. So I, mean, I couldn't even find anything hardly on these guys on Ancestry. But... The names again are all yeah, over all the place. Changed. Yeah. yeah, and then they're using, you know, from Sylvester to Giuseppe, and it's like who knows. Um, but anyways, so while all of these men were in jail awaiting trial, John Arada and Leonardo Alessandra, they actually had a really scary night in jail one night. Um, this was on March twenty seventh, eighteen seventy six, and the guards at the county jail they said that they all of a sudden heard like terrifying screams coming from. John Arada's and Leonardo's cell. So apparently they were sharing a jail cell. When the guards reached the cell, they had to convince Leonardo, remember he's the 16-year-old, that there were no ghosts and he could stop screaming. (laughs) So once they got him calmed down, Leonardo told him that um, he was laying in his bed and he heard four knocking sounds on the floor of his jail cell. And when he looked down at the floor, he said he saw old Joe looking up at him. And apparently old Joe's eyes, they looked like stars and his throat was slit. So John was in a jail cell too. And he said that he saw the figure too. So I, I don't know, but I mean, I guess one of the guards told them that, you know, there's no ghosts, but that they were just being haunted by their guilty consciousness. <laughs> Which... Well, that's true, too. So. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a nightmare, and mm. he woke up but and... the was other still... guy seeing it, too, I know. So it's I don't like, know. was he just going along with it? Mm-hmm. And again, they their English was very broken or non-existent, so this is coming from the guards. You know, John could have just been shaking his head yes. <laughs> just like, I'll yeah. do whatever you say. And they thought that he saw it, too. So, But the ranch man... Um, he was one of the gang members and he actually turned state evidence against the other members. And this I I searched everywhere to figure out who the ranchman is because he turned state evidence. You think that like somewhere his name would have been out there, but I, all I found was his name could have been Joe. <laughs> so, I don't know. But anyways, different. I know it's like if you turn state evidence, you think somewhere in the newspaper up in the it, Yeah. Because in the newspapers, they had like court testimonies, like line by line, but nothing about the ranch man. So (laughs) I don't know. Um, But yeah, so he turned state evidence against all the members. Um, And eventually John Arada and Leonardo Alessandra, they turned state evidence as well. They both received 10 years. The ranch man, I think they just let him go. Because he was the first to turn state evidence, and so I like sweet thanks. See you later. <laughs> Try not to kill anybody. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so yeah. So John and Leonardo they received ten years, and Filomino, Michael, and Frank Valandre they all received life life sentences, and the rest of the gang was set free. Wow. Yeah. Um, now Henry Fernandez he he's one of the he's considered one of the gang members. He actually. He was not at the murder, though, at the crime when that happened. They had actually met him only, like, two days before, before they committed the murders. And the deal was that he would um, take a cut of whatever they found and get them to Mexico. Because he was Hispanic. Oh, okay. So um, I think that he never received any money because they all took off to Trinidad. Um, so I don't know. What happened? But none of them made it to Mexico. Um, but they let Fernandez go. They, well, never they served. could have been on their way. That's true. Oh, that's true. They could have right. like, because it is headed south. Right. Yep, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, they just let him go, even though he was aware that like this murder was going to happen. Right. <laughs> so, um, and so during the trial of Michael Bellotti, John Arata actually testified, and I guess his testimony was very dramatic, and he didn't hold back at all he even said that he took part in the quote carving of the men yeah it's, it's just a rough way to put that um and he said that his knife actually bent against the skull of one of his victims so yeah mom just got shivers <laughs> <laughs> she looked at her arms, arms and she's got little goosebumps um so yeah i mean it's just it's brutal and he got 10 years right yeah he got 10 years so and this and he's testifying that he Basically broke his knife on the skull of one of these guys, but
1: yeah, that doesn't make sense. Wild, wild
0: west, I guess. Versus a life, he yeah sentence. Well, he turned state evidence. Oh, so I think he they had like a plea bargain. Yeah, so it was him. Oh god, Leonardo and the Ranch Man turned state evidence, but still, it's like, geez, Louise. Um, he also testified that all the murderers except for him scooped up blood off of the floor and drank it or licked it from the palm of their hands. And so I think back to our Halloween special, when we talked about that lady, I'm not gonna remember her name, um, where she shot that man and drank some of his blood. And she said that it was a old superstition, superstition from Italy, that if you drink the blood of your... The person you kill, they won't come haunt you. Right. Somebody I remember wonder, that. Because <laughs> why would you drink the blood? People are weird. People are weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So he said that, you know, that wasn't part of his testimony. And during Leonardo's testimony, the judge asked Leonardo, and this is, um, I don't know, this kind of shows the how young Leonardo is. Um, but it's also just shows how different the times were. I'm just going to read... Basically, this testimony. Um, And so the judge asks Leonardo, what did you all go up to that house for? And Leonardo responds, we went up there to kill the old man. The judge then asks, what did you do when you got there? And Leonardo says, I didn't kill nobody. I just played the harp. And the judge asks again, well, what were the others doing while you were playing the harp? And Leonardo replies, they were cutting. And the judge says, well, what were they cutting? And Leonardo goes throats, <laughs> and it's just like it's just so blatantly like just so blunt, you know. Right. Um. And so there was a reporter in the in the courtroom that day from the Rocky Mountain News, and he said that this whole exchange happened. And after Leonardo yells throats, the whole court laughs, like even the people in the audience. I, I just don't understand why you would laugh at that. Like, no, I don't. Was it Leonardo's demeanor that they were laughing at? Because I can't imagine laughing at the killing and the sl- slitting of throats of men. Like, why? Like, it's just, I don't know. Again, it's Unless also it's a reporter. A he just looked at the judge and... Like, you idiot. We already know this. It's their throats. Like, why are you... Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Maybe Leonardo looked at the judge like, their throats, you jack. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, of course he's sixteen too. He's 16. Well, he's a little older now, maybe. But.
0: Yeah, that that's true. No, that's a good point. That could have been it. And also, this is a reporter who could be, you know, just expanding on all of this. Um. So, but after about ten years in prison, Philomino, he became extremely ill and was unable to leave his bed. And so the governor at that time he w- it was Governor Eaton. He just Fully pardoned Filmino as an act of mercy. Uh, But the public and the press were not happy about this. They protested and were like, he deserves to die in jail. Like, Mm -hmm. do not let him out. But the governor let him out. The governor, one of the things that he said was... um, So Filmino's mom, she came down... I think she was in New York at this time. And she came down to get filamino um and so the governor said like his stipulation for letting him go was you have to go back to italy and you can't come back to america like go die in italy just leave america apparently she took him back and i saw in two different articles years published years later that filamino died on the ship on the way back to italy and then i found in another article that he made it back to new orleans magically recovered and lived his life Huh? Pick your poison. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's hard to say. So.
1: Because I'm sure once if he did go back, he didn't come back. I'm he sure he wouldn't thing. come back. Yeah.
0: Right. And I couldn't find anything on him, even in censuses or anything. But he's okay with changing his name. So who knows if he did live what he went by? Right. It's hard to say. So. Um. But he was he was interesting. Like. So I found this article from the Rocky Mountain News dated June 8th, 1876. And the headline read, A Murderer's Gift to His Attorney. So apparently, Philomino, he drew a painting for his attorneys after the trial. And it was a cross that was resting on an anchor. So I'm picturing like a big ship anchor and a cross just like leaning against it. And in the center of the cross, there was a burning heart. And all around the cross were flowers. (laughs) So the burning heart is what I'm like, what does that symbolize? Like why that? Um, And so underneath it, he wrote, you will keep this cross in remembrance of me. And it was written in Italian and he gave that to his attorneys. So the reporter in the article, he wrote, it is the murderers own handiwork and shows that he was not less skilled in drawing than in cutting throats. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) So I wonder what
1: the meaning behind okay the cross on an anchor. Yeah. And then the bleeding heart was like a burning what? heart. Oh, burning. Like on fire. Does it mean that he's going to come after his attorneys because he went to
0: prison? I know because you got life in prison. Why would you give your attorneys a gift? Is it a threat? That's what I'm wondering. That's a good burning point. heart. Mhm. The cross on an anchor like I'm going to throw you in the sea after I burned right. it to death. <laughs> I, it, that's a good point yeah maybe it was a threat because I kept thinking I'm like why would he give yeah. them yeah. a gift they he did the, he got life in prison he didn't get free right. he didn't get 10 he didn't even get 10 years like the other guys he was life in prison I bet you're right. I bet it was a threat. It had to be a threat. So Michael Bellotti, he was also sentenced to life, but he ended up dying in prison on December 20th, 1887. And when Bellotti was sentenced, he asked the judge if he could have his violin back to take to prison with him. And the judge just pretty much blew him off, saying something like it's out of his jurisdiction, it's out of his control. Um, But it's interesting because I guess when Bellotti was asking for his violin back, he was telling the judge about how special this violin is. And he said that it was a gift from his father and that the violin was several hundred years old and um, basically that it's priceless. It's like, it's worth so much money. Um, and the judge is like, yeah, you're not getting that back. I, I don't have any control over that. Makes me wonder what happened to that violin. Right. <laughs> like, who took that violin home? Because yeah. <laughs> if it's worth that, I mean, and he's literally telling them, it's worth so much money and I want it back. They're probably like, Oh, I'm gonna take that. <laughs>
1: right.
0: So, who knows what happened to that violin? Sitting behind my door now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's some judge, probably the judge's like great 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 granddaughter has, yeah. has it. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. That was complete speculation. And so, Frank Valandre, he was also sentenced to life, but he was pardoned by the governor as well on August 5th, 1895. And Giuseppe or Sylvester, what, depending on. He was feeling that day, I guess. Um, he was sentenced to life too, but he was also pardoned on June 29th, 1888. So that's, huh? That's three less than 20
1: years. Less I than 20 spend. years. Wonder what how you get pardoned when it's life
0: for that crime. Mm-hmm.
1: That's bizarre. It
0: is. Um, I saw somewhere in I don't know one of the articles I was looking at, and it said one of the only because they considered this you know, the banditti gang, Italian banditti. they consider them a Wild West game, And they said that this was like the only Wild West gang where no member was hanged for their murders. Like most of them, wow. if they were busted.
1: Yeah, instead of life, prison,
0: Yeah, in prison. they were just hanged. Yeah. And none of them, other than Baladi, died in prison. They were all pardoned and let go. Or never even never, never even sentenced to prison, right? And so they, this is the only game where none of them were hanged for their crimes. Like every other, like Jesse James gang, the Daltons, whatever those you know, Wild West gangs. Some of them were hanged for their, you know, crimes. So I like
1: wonder what I don't know.
0: I don't know either. And there was a lot of speculation about it in the Denver newspapers at that time. Like, why are they not getting hanged? Why are they? And maybe it was. Due to this was right around the time Colorado was becoming a state, maybe politics played into it. I don't know, but none of them, none of them were hanged. They were all pardoned from jail. Philomino
1: should have been hung.
0: Philomino should have been hanged. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and maybe they were he all was gone. Such a big
1: suave con con man. That-
0: <laughs> yeah, and they all. Who knows. Um, but yeah they were all pardoned and, or never even served jail or the only right. one who died out of natural causes was Bilotti in prison so mm. um, but in 1911 uh, an Alice Rowe who was a reporter with the Rocky Mountain News report or newspaper she wrote an article about how the home where the murders happened was haunted and she said that the people who lived around that area would report hearing harp music, harp music and screams coming from the house Oh, wow. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, there's this um, really, and I'll post it on the Instagram page. It's this creepy, like it's really creepy. And it's in either the Denver Post. I don't think the Denver Post was around at this time. I think it was the Denver Rocky Mountain News was the only paper at that time. Um, And so it's on the paper and it has this like this guy playing a harp and like these ghost spirit things floating around. And I'm like, Oh, that's a little, it's creepy. I'll post it on the Instagram page. Yeah. It's, I was like, I don't think they would post something like that on the paper today. I mean, hard to say, but yeah, I don't know. So, but this Alice, this Alice Rowe, who was a reporter, she is an interesting character. In fact, I'm going to do some research on her someday. I have this feeling that she had a, fascination with the Italian community in Denver because she wrote about the Italians all the time. Um, on the Angelina Garamone episode and on the Luisa Asierno episode that we did, um, she wrote about, she was the one who interviewed Luisa Cerno's mother in their home when Luis was like five years old and they were all wrapping celery socks. Huh. Yeah, and she reported on Angelina Garamone's about how much she, in a weird way, admired Angelina for, like, her independence and her way of breaking her own ground.
1: I remember you actually saying, I feel that this reporter actually looked up to her. To Angelina. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And
0: she would, like, compliment Angelina, but then, like, the next sentence she would insult her, either by her being a Southern Italian or an immigrant But then the next paragraph, she would compliment her again. So it was like this weird, like, I think she felt like she had to insult her. But I really think she admired her. Because as crazy as Angelina was, she was still pretty, very independent. She, you know, did her, especially for that time. I mean, she was kind of considered the first black hand of Denver. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, she was a woman at that time. So yeah. But anyways, um, it'll be interesting to, uh, just look into her. Like I said, I feel like she had the fascinating one. I bet you're right. The Italian colony. Yep. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of photos that I'll post. Um, I've already posted the one with like the whole game on the Instagram page, but I'll post a few of the pictures that came out with, um, from the articles. Cause Honestly, there's not much out there on these guys. I think that they all immigrated to America from Italy and then, once they were released or pardoned, scattered across America or went back to Italy because there is nothing. I can't find it on Ancestry. I can't find it in the papers. So, changed, yeah. their <laughs> changed their names and moved on. Changed their names and moved on. I would like to know what happened to Leonardo, the 16 year old. Right. And the 13 year old. Like, there is not much about the 13-year-old, but he got, like, he was sentenced to life. I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre. And, you know, they could have had their ages wrong as well. And, you know, there's always that language barrier, um, that you have to consider, so.
1: Yeah, that's so young. that
0: It is. But, yeah, that is the story of the Italian banditti, so. And it was a gruesome one. (laughs) (laughs) It was a gruesome one. It was, like I said, it's not the shiny light that we usually do on the italian american community but i think it's you know i think it's important to show there's always two sides there's always bad apples there's always great people in whatever culture ethnicity whatever right yeah. i think it's important to tell all stories i so, do too I yeah i think you did good thanks and i'm glad you're back i missed yeah. podcasting with Thank you me too. <laughs> glad to be back yeah so all right well um i hope you enjoyed listening to the story of the italian banditti, and i hope you come back to listen to more stories about italian americans see you next time see you guys next time